I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. Today, I want to welcome Mike Acker. He is an executive communications coach and a keynote speaker. He's also the author of 10 books, including Speak with Confidence. He coaches business professionals to lead and speak with confidence. Mike's starting a new mission, and his main mission is with Go on the Mission, and he's trying to impact 1 million people by addressing child poverty. Mike's books have been translated in several languages and appeared on numerous books lists, uh, book lists, with his first book being designated as the number one book on overcoming fear of speaking on Forbes.com. Mike, welcome. Hey, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to being here with you, Craig, and talking to you and to your audience. Well, I tell you what, um, for folks that are listening, we're about to go on a wild journey, and I don't even know where it's going. I know a couple bits and pieces, and um, I can tell you, I'm fascinated to find out what um, what this journey is about. So, Mike, you had what some might call a non-traditional childhood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when I was a teenager, I found out that one of the reasons why some of my weird stories that didn't really match up as a kid were in my mind was because my dad was a drug smuggler and my mom was a witch. And I didn't know that until much later in life, but my dad in the 60s, he paid his way through college smoking drugs. He, he was dealing drugs at a party where he met my my wife, my mom, and my mom was, was a connoisseur of the good stuff. And she was an active witch, participating in seances and astral projection, things like that. So then when I was around four-ish years old, we in, my parents had switched out. They started a new thing on coffee, and they had now had a legal drug-dealing business, coffee, in the 1980s. And we were in Kona, Hawaii, and my parents both had a radical conversion moment where they switched out of their previous thought patterns and became very very, very committed followers of Jesus. And I'm not talking about just like show up at church and vote a certain way. I'm talking about how we would go on the streets of Seattle and do soup kitchens. We would, we sold our sailboat, things like that. All right. Well, let me pause you there because you just covered a lot. I want to hear that part of the story too, but um, what, what kind of drugs, what kind of drugs was he smuggling? Yeah, it was primarily, and he would say it was just marijuana. My mom said that there were some other ones that were thrown in there. Like? Well, seeing that she knew every single type of drug that was possible, and when I was 15 years old, we had like do this drug class and learn about them, and I just went home and I asked my mom questions, and she told me all about them. So I know there was some cocaine at some point in time that he was that he was part of. And then really, I don't know anything else. She's passed away, and he refuses to talk about it. 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now he says it's really about marijuana back in the sixties and seventies anyway, and this would be pre-cartel days and not not heroin, but there there definitely was some cocaine at some point in time. Wow. Now, when you say your mom was a witch, I mean there's a lot of people that are listening that just you know they picture you know Halloween or or something like that. What what does that mean when somebody's a witch? What I mean in reality. Sure. So probably there's probably tons of different words for this. So this is her own classification. She said that she was a white witch. And so she participated in seances, astral projection, talking with other spirits and uh, casting spells and and such. Uh, so for her, in her estimation, it was all going to be things that were kind of on the kind side and nice things, so not a black witch. This is, again, her 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 way of defining it to me when I was 15 years old. And uh, some people would just say it was probably intense new ageism, but for her, that's how she designated it. She had crystals and spell books and things like that. My goodness. That's, I'm trying to think how I would handle that. My parents told me that at 15, that had to be overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of those, it was one of those Mike was making some slightly bad decisions and getting punished for showing up three minutes late and thinking it was ridiculous, the discipline. And so I was kind of steering away from my parents. My mom sat me down and said, this is why we're so strict on you. Boom. Wow. Now, you grew up partially in Mexico. What years were those? So that was when I was 10 to 18, so 1990 to 1998. And my parents, uh, my dad had actually then had a coffee company, then lawyer. And then he quit his job as a lawyer. We went down to be missionaries when I was in Mexico when I was 10 years old. And then he was a he was a legal counsel for a hotel down there, actually a big resort. And then we were missionaries part time or full time um, for my parents. And we did feeding centers and we did educational centers, uh, all kinds of different things that we did down there, built houses, et cetera. And my parents actually stayed there for years more, but I returned to the United States for college. So one thing that strikes me as bizarre about that is it would seem like. Mexico is the place to move when you're the drug dealer, not after you were the drug dealer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is in the 1990s, and Mazatlan was where we were at. So this is where Chapo's from, and this is before Chapo. Though he would have been like a teenager or something at this point in time. So this is before his notorious days. And my parents, my dad had definitely done some drug dealing from Mexico, and so he was actually very familiar with culture and spoke. Spanish fluently because of his drug dealing days. So when we went down there, he already spoke Spanish. He already knew the culture fairly well. And we went down there and now he's doing the opposite. So there's a kind of a, a thought in his life that he he was enough of the party, enough of what he would have said was a, a life of sin. And now he was switching into really turning people away from sin. And so he went there and my dad doesn't drink, doesn't do anything in drugs or anything. And he just goes in there and we, we uh, helped hundreds and thousands and thousands of thousands of people. And my dad used his cultural awareness. And my mom used her emotional intelligence and we worked with a lot of people and did some really cool stuff. So how old were you when they turned around from that old lifestyle? Yeah, so I was around four years old. And it was, it was probably, it was less than a year after my parents became Christians that 
we found ourselves in China in 1985-ish, and we were smuggling Bibles into China. Now, <laughs> I remember, this is a communist China, 1985. That was a serious offense in 1985. But my parents had put the Bibles under our clothes, and then we went through the scanners and prayed that they wouldn't be found. And we got through, carried our big clunky suitcases full of Bibles, and offloaded them in China. Yeah, well, and just for just I for found, some perspective, when when was the Tiananmen Square incident? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I think that was 1987. That. So you're you're doing this yeah, within right a couple of years of of the big Tiananmen Square incident. Right, right. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was definitely a time that you would not be smuggling Bibles in China and just get a pass. But we went in there and we did that. And later on, I, I heard my dad say something like, for years, I never got caught smuggling drugs. And now I'm smuggling something good. And God was with me. You know, one, one time I um, I used to go to China a lot. And I was I flew into Beijing. And usually a driver would meet me at the airport with my name on the sign. And, you know, and, and he meets me at, lu at luggage uh, claim, baggage claim. And I'm coming out and there's this Chinese guard just giving me the, you know, the stink eye. And I was this close to looking at the guy and blowing him a kiss. And I kind of paused and I thought, think about where you are. <laughs> you yeah, do want yeah. to go home. This may not be the best idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not, you don't want to aggravate it more. But thankfully, we were all good. We also went to um, Philippines and Manila in the dump at that point in time, did some work down there. And then we came back to the United States, did a pretty normal childhood, <laughs> and and then we went to Mexico when I was ten. So it was quite quite the journey in growing up. In retrospect, at the time, it's just your life. So uh, I'm curious, and we'll we'll move on after this. What was the catalyst? What caused that change in your parents? So two different stories. For for my mom, she always meditated, and then she met some Christians, and they said meditate on the blood of Jesus. She said, I don't know really who Jesus is, but I'll meditate on anything. And when she did, she felt a power course through her that was unlike anything else. And she said, every time I meditated, I would feel power. But when I meditated on the blood of Jesus, I realized that everything else was an imitation of whoever the Jesus is. So whoever Jesus is, is the real deal. Everything else is not the real deal. And she started finding out who Jesus was. My dad, he was a complete agnostic. He thought it was the only intellectual thing to do. And he was... He was, he lobbed a prayer out and just said, God, if you're out there, help me with this situation. And then he's walking across the parking lot and he heard the only time it's like the audible voice of Jesus saying, Timothy, I'm Jesus and I'm your friend. And he was in, he was done. He, I mean, it was, it was a radical change too. Like my parents went from way over here to way over here. And I'm not talking politically or anything like that. Yes, their politics did have some changes in it as well. But we're really just talking about the way they lived, the way they gave, the way they the way they went about things. You know, what's really interesting in that story is, you know, I hear an element where they were truly seeking out God and mm -hmm. and God found them. And I've I've heard similar stories. There's actually videos on YouTube called uh, More Than Dreams, and it talks about people in Muslim countries who were genuinely mm -hmm. seeking out God and they met Jesus in dreams. One was, uh, one was in Saudi Arabia going, you know, on the pilgrimage to Mecca and Jesus came to him in a dream and said, turn around. And 
these yeah. are not isolated incidents. There's a lot. And it seems like, seems like your parents had your own, their own version of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's pretty intense when you go into the whole story and they, they got baptized and they just did a 180. We're talking like, hey, I'm going this way. Now I'm going this way. And there's all kinds of funny stories that they had. And I didn't, I didn't have, I'd hear my parents tell stories as a kid and I didn't have a, I didn't have a way to process that story. So it wasn't until much later in life that, oh, it was, that's why we're here. That's why this is happening. That's why this happened. And it's fascinating to really look at life and see that. Yeah. So help us connect the dots. So that's, that's your upbringing. And, and now you're, uh, you're an executive coach that's getting ready to, uh, that's in transition to uh, address child poverty, but help us connect the dots. Would that teach you about coaching? Would that teach you about leadership? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I saw from a get-go was I watched my dad and mom start things, start a coffee company and sold it for a great amount. I started a mission project in Mexico and did that extremely well and grew it. And my mom had started a preschool when I was a kid too. So I've seen my parents start things, take the initiative and really in some ways, leadership is simply the ability to take a group of people and influence them to meet the needs of someone else. So you have a need that's out there, whether it's someone needs a widget or someone needs to be fed and they have a need and you take a group of people to do that. And so you're not just doing it on your own, but you're leading people and influencing. That's what I thought my parents do. Now, that's the leadership side. And I got to be a part of leading trips. I was about 13 years old and I was leading 20 year olds to do construction projects in Mexico. I'm teaching them how to lay concrete. You know, like I'm teaching them how to um, approach this situation and and paint in this kind of environment and wash their brushes of oil-based paint afterwards. So I'm teaching people and leading people to meet the needs that the mission organizations had when I was 13 years old. So that's kind of the leadership side of things. Now, in terms of communication, let me go back to when I was four. I actually had a speech impediment, realized it with my family. And then went about and worked on it aggressively. My mom said that I was the driving factor in doing that. I was the one who was doing the exercise. Got to a spot where I spoke quite well with winning different type of uh, presentation awards as a kid. Moved to Mexico. And then I got bullied because I was the only white kid, blonde haired, very fair, blue eyes, huge buck teeth. And I got in front of the class and everybody just laughed. And that happened for years. I got picked on, I got beat up, things like that. And I got to a spot where I overcame that. So in terms of communication, I got to a spot where I was good in a couple of different environments, moved back to the United States, participated in debate and learned how to be good in America again. So when people come to me and they go, here's where I need to go and what makes you different, often I'll say it's because I'm not a natural born speaker. I had to learn how to get there. And I wasn't even a natural born leader, although I had some opportunities that taught me along the way. There's actually no natural born. That's a separate topic, though. In terms of this, I was able to learn and grow and overcome. The things that people are dealing with are things that I've dealt with. The things that people struggle with are things that I've struggled with and learned how to get through to the other side. So that's what I really learned through the whole part was leadership. I had the opportunities speaking. I had all the embarrassment, yet worked through it. You know, and you bring up a good point. You know, there are people that would say, 
hey, I don't want to speak. I'm not a natural speaker. That's not my thing. What would you say to them? Yeah, I'd say no one is. No one's a natural born speaker. I say there's people who are born with proclivity and there's people who are born with opportunities and that to practice. And those two are the different ways that you're born, but no one's born speaking, no one's born leading. Now you might have some proclivities. You might have the type of personality that wants to be in front of people. You might have the type of personality that's a little bit more bossy than someone else. And given the right opportunities to practice leadership, that bossiness can turn into leadership. And given the right types of opportunity to practice, that being in front of people can turn into performance and presentation. But really it's proclivity and then this practice. Now here's the thing is everybody is born with the ability, the opportunity to practice. Now, some people are born into environments that are going to force you to practice. Your parents make you practice piano. But no matter how old you are, you can start practicing. And practice enough, practice will beat proclivity. Now, some people are born with proclivity, and that's great. If a person is born with proclivity, then practices, well, that can create the phenomenon. But practice without proclivity beats proclivity without practice any day. Interesting. Yeah, and I think... I mean, I can say in, in terms of podcasting, um, the what I've learned just by getting out and doing episodes, and I've heard multiple podcasters say this, they're like, oh, please don't listen to my early episodes. They were horrible. Okay. And um, I don't think mine were necessarily horrible, but it's there's a learning process. And I don't know any way sure. to get better other than to get out there and do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then in terms of communication, I 100% agree. And I want to add in a little caveat to it. If you break your leg, don't just walk off your leg, walk it off. First set it and then walk it off. So when it comes to communication, if your communication is, there's many people I work with that they just actually feel like they're getting worse and more insecure in their communication, the more they practice. It's because they're walking on a broken leg. And first you got to set that leg and then get out there. So when you started podcasting, I haven't listened to your early episodes, but when you started podcasting, you weren't broken, you weren't walking on a broken leg. You were just walking on maybe a weaker leg. Now, as you've worked more and more towards it, you're stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's for a lot of people. But there are many people who their leadership is broken or their speaking is broken. And as a result of it, the more that they do it, the worse that they get. And they first need to go fix things and set the bone and then walk on it. Yeah, that's a that's such an incredible analogy. Um, uh, it resonates a little bit with me. I mean, I, um, you know, two years ago, I was learning how to walk again. And I had a coach oh, wow. recently uh, tell me the way I was doing my squats were hurting my knees. And it's, you know, it's, I was reinforcing a broken yeah. process. And what you're saying is you have to identify those broken elements. Don't reinforce the brokenness, make adjustments and become stronger in the adjusted way. Yeah, absolutely. So people will come to me and like, say, I joined Toastmasters and Toastmasters can be incredible. And they're like, hey, I, and I'm volunteering to speak and it's getting worse. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Because there's something broken in how you speak. And when you speak, it does, goes worse and worse and worse because you're you're just compounding that issue. So what would be three tips if, you know, for somebody listening saying, I don't feel like I'm a great speaker or I'm not a speaker at all. 
what would be three things that you would tell them to do today to move closer to being a, the speaker they want to be? Yeah, so the first one would be to pause, to learn how to pause. And there's a whole bunch written about this. I've written many books. I talk about pausing in almost all of them. But then probably most presentation books are going to talk about pausing as well. So pausing. And you could look it up online and probably see a ton of different YouTubes about it. The, the second one I would say is this, is study yourself. Like really get to know yourself. So one of my books is called The Identity Workbook. It's just uh, like a $10 little workbook that people can do to study themselves. And I talk about my own process there as well. And just really, really know yourself. The more you know yourself, the more comfortable you get with yourself. And I break down a whole paradigm of this in Speak With Confidence. I talk about how to appreciate yourself, accept yourself, and know what to improve. So study yourself would be the second thing right there. And the third one would be, and man, there's so many different things on here. The third one would be to know why you speak and what you want to say anytime that you go into something. Why am I doing this? How does what I'm saying help someone? Even if you're reporting to your boss or talking to your, your fellow colleagues, how is what you're saying helping to someone? And then the other one is what in a 10 seconds, if you could say everything you're going to say in your 40 minute presentation, what would you say in 10 seconds? And that will be hugely helpful. Those are great tips. Well, um, so as I understand, you're still going to do coaching. You're, you're, you're starting your new mission with go on the mission, but you're still going to do some coaching on the side. So what are the ways that people should reach out and find you? Yeah, absolutely. So people can find me at mikeacker.com. People can find me on Amazon. I have 10 books and something like eight or nine workbooks as well. People can grab a hold of on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. You can actually go into a Barnes and Noble and get speak with confidence there. Uh, you can reach out to me and just simply info at mikeacker.com. Great way to reach out. We'd love to help you. And then the big focus I'm doing here in 2024, lifting kids out of poverty, breaking the cycle of poverty. And that's at goonthemission.com. Such a great mission. I, Mike, I hope people will reach out to you. And I want to thank you for being on Leaders and Legacies. Hey, thank you so much, Craig. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. And it means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com uh, or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.